You're listening to the Antos Podcast, where we explore the nature of stories in the pursuit of being in truth. I'm Vaughn. And I'm Mac. And our sentience depends on you. Now cue the intro music. I think the Kolos were more intelligent than we wanted to give them credit for being. For instance, originally they used only... They used only spikes the Lord Ruler gave them to make new members. He would provide the metal and the unfortunate skull captives, and the Kolos would create new recruits. At the Lord Ruler's death, then, the Kolos should quickly have died out. This was how he had designed them. If they got free from his control, he expected to kill them. He expected them to kill themselves off at the end of their own rant and in their own rampage. However, they somehow made the deduction that spikes in the bodies of fallen coloss could be harvested, then reused. They then no longer required a fresh supply of spikes. I often wonder what the effect the constant reuse of spikes had on their population. A spike can only hold so much of a hemolytic charge, so they could not create the spikes that granted infinite strength, no matter how many people those spikes killed and drew power from. However, did the repeated reuse of spikes perhaps bring more humanity to the Coloss that they made? For all that it disgusts me, I cannot help but be impressed by hemology as an art. In Allomancy and Ferrochemy, skill, skill and subtlety come through the application of one's powers. The best Allomancer might not be the most powerful, but instead the one who can best manipulate the pushes and pulls of metals. The best ferrochemist is one who is capable of sorting the information in his copper mines, or best able to manipulate his weight with iron. The art that is unique to hemology, however, is the knowledge of where to place the spikes. Each spike, positioned very carefully, can determine how the recipient's body is changed by hemology. A spike in one place creates a monstrous, near-mindless beast. In another place, a spike will create a crafty yet homicidal inquisitor. Without the instinctive knowledge granted by taking the power at the Well of Ascension, Rashik would never have been able to use hemology. With his mind expanded, and with a little practice, he was able to intuit where to place spikes that would create the servants he wanted. It is a little-known fact that the Inquisitor's torture chambers were actually, actually hemologic laboratories. The Lord Ruler was constantly trying to develop new breeds of servant. It is a testament to hemology's complexity that, despite a thousand years of trying, he never managed to create anything with it beyond the three kinds of creatures he developed during those few brief moments holding the power. Wow. That's the complexity. That's crazy. Yeah, and and it means that there's so many, you know, so much potential when it comes to hemology. Yeah, I mean, let me let me look back, make sure that this is the case. <sighs> Ooh, oh, actually, I don't think I see it here. Okay, so never mind. I'm gonna avoid potential spoilers, and just get right into it. So we get Marsh's point of view, and he is back in Luthadel, and he and it's learned that the Inquisitors are like basically traveling the world and sabotaging food storages while they're looking for what ruin desires, the thing that preservation took from him. We don't get any explanation more than that. We just know he's still looking. Uh, I think we even mentioned that in the the prologue, 
that that rune was looking for something and that, mm-hmm. that they were supposed to find it for him. But uh, Marsh is here to spike Penrod. And Marsh kind of gets... Marsh who lives the night he became an Inquisitor. And wow. Wow. How brutal. It describes how like the Inquisitors found him and he thought he was discovered, but in reality they just were seeking him out because he's such a a strong uh he was just he was such a strong seeker and they liked they and liked he's that. super devoted you know and the, for, he goes the first spike they did was they ran in grabbed him held him down and put a spike through a guy's heart into his eye that it was, was a woman's the, heart a woman's they heart and that held was, her down and put a spike into his eye and it was very very painful yeah and he said that was the that was the first spike he got um yeah ouch but um yeah with the spike loses its power, we now know this as hemorrhagic decay. The spike loses its power while being out of a body. The longer it is. But really, March understands that this spike isn't meant to give Lord Penrod any abilities. It's just meant to give Ruin a way to touch his mind. And so March goes in, Ruin takes control of him, and he fights purposely, like acting like he's on the back foot. He's like, even March says, like, Penrod can't fend me off for sure. These three guards can't pin me off for sure. Twelve more enter into the room. He goes, that's not even going to be enough to stop me. Mm -hmm. He pretends like it is and he flees and he stabs Lord Penrod in the heart with the spike as he leaves. And they, we learn that the surgeons are like, we're not going to remove it because we're going to kill you if we take it out. And Penrod's like, it doesn't really matter. I feel pretty good, actually. I don't feel bad at all. So it must have missed my heart. It didn't. And now Ruin is able to touch his mind, and while he can't fully control him, he can only nudge him. March, sure, he is now Ruins just as much as every other Inquisitor is. And that's the end of 42. 43. Uh, we get Vin's point of view, and uh, they're going back to the ball. They're going back to Yeoman's ball to to enact their plan of sneaking into the cache while, while they're at the Canton of Resources. And Vin's like, Yeoman's Mistborn's following us. We, I know this for sure. We can sense him, and Ellen's like, oh yeah, even I sense him. sense him. They arrive at the ball, and they were expected. No one is freaking out or anything, and they're like, okay. And Vin goes to case the joint, and she realizes that she's being trailed by two noble women, who are, it's a copper uh, copper cloud and a tenai, who are tracking her and spying on her. And she ends up running into Slow Swift there. And she goes, she ends up kind of shaking the tail for just enough time to go to Slow Swift and say, Hey, I need two men to help me. I'm being followed, blah, blah, blah. You got to help. And so it's so like, got you. And uh, yeah, you know, she leaves Ellen and she goes, I have to trust Ellen's decisions. Irene's like, you're a fool. It's going to get you killed. And she's like, she actually like actually laughs at the thought. She literally goes, it's so ridiculous that I ever gave any heed to Irene's voice. And she mentions how she's not going to like ignore Irene's, uh teachings to her. She just knows how to better, uh, I don't want to say dampen them, but like better understand where the, the raw paranoia starts and where the actual good advice ends, essentially. And so, but she laughs at that idea, and Ellen begins his distraction, and she comes out and knocks the two tails out, has the men drag them off and hide them, and uh, she's like, all right. I'm going to go down now to check out the cache. And we learn that Ellen's cha- uh, Ellen's distraction is he's challenged Yeoman to a duel. And now he's starting random arguments. And that's the end of 43. 44. 
Uh, Vin goes down into the corridor. He has all the... Uh, Vin goes down to the corridor. Yeah, there's guards down protecting it. So she's like, all right, Yeoman does know about the cache and it's definitely here. Um, she is able to easily find the cache's opening. She does some cool tricks and everything to get the guards out of the way, soothing them, making noise here and there, throw a rock. Hey, what's over there? You know, the NPC walk. Um, and she's like, the cache is open. And she goes into it and she goes, this is it. And then the door closes behind her and she goes, oh, crud. Um, we get Ellen's point of view after that, and Yeoman is really actually like super interested in debating Ellen as a scholar. <laughs> like he's like really getting into it. And Ellen's like, oh man, the rest of the group is bored. So then he'll like change the subject and Yeoman goes, What are you doing? Like like he's noticing that Yeoman's getting getting concerned or like is noticing that Ellen's blowing smoke up up uh mm-hmm. up something, right? And essentially that ends because someone finds the body of the knocked out woman and the alarm starts and Yeoman looks down at him and Ellen's like, well, I gave Ven all the chance I could. Now I'm going to fulfill my part. But one thing's itching towards me is Yeoman a misborn and he launches himself at Yeoman and just grabs him by the throat and picks him up. And he really, he talks about how Yeoman couldn't even do anything to fight back. And he goes, well, he's either not a misborn or a very good actor. And he drops Yeoman and kind of pushes him away and he's going to leave him alone when Yeoman pulls out a glass dagger and attacks him. And Ellen goes to dodge and gets hit, goes to dodge again and gets hit again. And he goes, he's moving clumsy. He doesn't he's not burning pewter or anything. And then he looks and he burns Electrum and he realizes that Yeoman is burning ATM. So he is a misborn. So Ellen's like, crap, this. I made an oopsie because Yeoman hit him perfectly where enough where he's bleeding out and he's going, he has to run. It's just Pewter that's keeping him up. Yeah, so he has to run. And he ends up running and arrives back at the the camp and he gets a message from Yeoman that's basically like, yo, big dummy, I'm glad I was able to distract you. We got your girl. You know, what up? No cap. No no cap. (laughs) No no cap on God. (laughs) So... We jump back to Vin's point of view here, and Yeoman had removed the metal plates out of the wall. Again, just brilliant. So she can't push the door back open. She's trapped in the cache. And she's like, I don't know why he would do this. Ah, man, it's a pretty smart idea. And then she goes, wait. And she senses the Mistborns in there with her. And she goes, this is what it was. He wants He wants to give his Mistborn a shot to kill me. And she turns around, and she lunges out to fight him. And she notices that the Mistborn's reen, and that's the end of part three. <laughs> uh, um, reen, who we've been hearing about since the very beginning, is back. I when I first read this, my initial thought was, "That's weird," and then I remember going all the way back to the final empire, and going, "Wait a second. The Steel Inquisitors claim that Reen died. And then I thought about like Vin's Mistborn. I went, if Reen's possibly Mistborn, we've learned through the epigraphs that the Inquisitors would be like, no. Super powerful. Yeah, like Inquisitors made for Mistborns are super powerful. So I was like, why would they get rid of them if they could have any chance of breaking him? And we also know that when once you make him once you make them into, you know, an Inquisitor, they're basically under your control. Yeah. 
So, okay, it's a cliffhanger that we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to address, you know, in the future. But the events that kind of came in that came in, um, again, Yeoman is just a boss. He's very very smart. Yeah, he's straight up. We, he deduces what they're doing because Alan, you know, whether he knew from the beginning or not, Alan tipped him off by mentioning the storage cache. Basically, he was like, mm-hmm. I want. I mean, he straight up told him, I just want the information in there. And Yeoman, in his message, they sends Alan goes. Mistborn are like haughty by nature. They're over. They think they're they're overconfident. They think they're immune, and he just traps her in the cache. Yeah, and the other thing was, uh, what I loved about this whole thing was the whole time Ellen's distracting him, and in the end, he was like, "I'm so glad I could have distracted you long enough." Yeah, like, and I don't think it was a diss. He's not. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy to be making it up. I think he legit was holding Ellen's attention the whole time. And he probably was sitting here thinking, man, I got to keep his attention on me. I got to keep... And then Ellen's like, no, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because Yeoman does not seem like the person who who would, would diss at all. This is very much him just being like, whew, that was I mean, a close one. I mean, if that was his plan all along. How scary is it? Like, you know, he probably wasn't expecting Ellen to attack him, right? Yeah. So, like, like if he had that plan all along, he's like... Crapping, crapping himself over here, like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa! This is not I was just trying rules. to talk to you, bro. It was just a prank. <laughs> um, We've learned recently from the news what pranking people in public gets you nowadays. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Um, so he, I mean, and and he's burning ATM. Um, he's burning ATM, yeah. And was good, but he was what was weird. Is that he was just burning ATM, like, or like, because Ellen was like, he's not doing this you know he's not um you know using pewter like he's not doing these other things but he's hitting me yeah and the the big part about that right is it shows restraint because how many times did kelsier in the first book when he talked about vin go vin you flaring all those metals is going to be an issue right because like if you just instinctively flare metals or instinctively react with metals you're going to get spotted out like yeoman's burning atm right yeoman's a mistborn he was able to even in the face of all that being surprised keep enough control on him and i wonder like you know we mentioned that he might not have realized ellen was going to attack him but at the same time with how smart he is do you think he had enough of a read on ellen to go if he wanted me assassinated this wouldn't be the way to do it well the other thing is that what kind of surprised me and this is one of those like maybe you can explain to me ellen has bronze Mm mm-hmm and so I assumed that, like, while he was choking him, he was, you know, burning bronze, waiting for, you know, to see if he would use Alamancy at all. And, you know, he didn't. Mm-hmm. But it seems more actually like he was just like, oh, he's not fighting me and he's not using pewter. So I guess he must not be an Alamancer. Because once he started dodging him around, his first, his, Ellen's first thought was to burn Electrum as opposed to burning bronze, which would have told him that he was, you know, using ATM. Yeah, I don't know. I think that was more so just a like way that Brandon might have wrote it as more of a reveal. I think so because it would have been like, ah, this pulse it must be him burning ATM. Um, another thing that could have been it too, right, is that he could have been burning bronze, but if if Yeoman was a misborn, he's copper. He's, he's smoking himself, right? Oh, that's so true. You, he, he wouldn't have been able. There to would be no point that. in using bronze. Yeah, that's true. So and maybe because, he wouldn't have because, used it. Yeah, Ellen can't pierce copper clouds. Right. So he probably wouldn't have even used bronze in the first place because he would have been like, 
uh, he would just use copper to hide it from me. And, and oh, and, that makes sense. And the way that Ellen picked it out very quickly that Yeoman was using ATM was the fact that he described how sluggish Yeoman was, yet he was still connecting with him. My other my uh, my other explanation was going to be that uh, when Ellen, by the time Ellen was misworn, there was no ATM. So he wouldn't know what that what that bronze sense would have been like. Oh, yeah. that pulse would be. Yeah, but he would have known that it was an elementic pulse. So that was my initial like head cannon. But now it makes sense. Like if he thinks he's an elementer, he's going to think he's a mistborn. And if he's a mistborn, he's going to be using copper. So there's no point in using bronze anyway. Huh, mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. And we could even still assume that like, you know, maybe Brandon didn't write it. We could still assume that maybe he was just burning bronze the whole time. And the reason it wasn't brought up was because he didn't sense a pulse. Yeah, but he would have sensed the uh, the ATM pulse. I mean, that's the only thing. Because remember, not if he's smoking. Oh, that's true. That's the, that's the whole point I'm trying to make. Is maybe the reason it wasn't brought up at all was, like you said, in the end, it would have mattered, right? Well, um, and then, you know, Vin missed all the signs. You know that she was in a trap with mm-hmm. all the stone, the stone, and everything like that. Um, the cache is just wide open. I mean, I mean, wide open. Well, it was guarded. It was very, it was it heavily was, guarded. But, but the door was just wide open, which to me screams trap. No, makes sense because we know they know the vast wealth that's in that stock, that that cash. Right? There's no way you take it all out immediately out of an incredibly defensive and hidden location. Yeah, but I guess you know if the door is you know open, um, you know there's no need to close it either because there's only one way in and one way out. You know, or mm-hmm. like that's why that was their understanding. You know, when she looked around, I think she couldn't find anything until she was like, "Oh, there's a person here," um, which turned out to be Reen, her brother. Yeah, I want to go more into that, but honestly, like I just can't either because. It was just the initial introduction, right? We have nothing to talk about yet with it. Well, and, what a way to end a part. <laughs> well, then, uh, th- then let's not forget this is also included spiking Penrod. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, I'll say, I was, I'm in medicine, so I can actually say that, yes, you could be, get a spike in the heart and still, you know, live. I was trying to think of how they would have figured that out, that it was, you know, dangerously near his heart or in his heart. And then I was like, oh, obviously. Because it would be bouncing. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, yeah. It, it'll bounce. Um, and so I thought it was brilliant because Marsh had to, had to explain, like, everyone's inclination is going to be take it out. You know, if I if you had put it in his shoulder or something like that, they would have been like, take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first I thought when because I, I was trying to remember Pinrod being spiked, I thought it was, oh, it spiked him, but it was so small that he didn't notice or something. I forgot that it was actually that they realized they can't take it out because it would kill him. Yeah. Um, and of course, Penrod would just be like, oh, yeah, I'm totally cool with this because at that point he's going to be influenced, which is what we were learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was just kind of I thought it was a brilliant move that's like, yeah, we're going to put it here because they can't take it out. Otherwise, he'll die. And it's in a place where people aren't going to obviously see it. Yep. So I just thought I thought that was just like a really, 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 you know, that made so much sense. Uh, we talked about it off camera a little bit. So we need to talk about it or off camera, off uh, off mic here a little bit. But we need to talk about it again. Whoa. We're, we've just learned about hemodrick decay. We just understood how that works and what it is. And now we're understanding why all of a sudden the Coloss are acting more like people. 
Oh, it's yeah. It's because yeah. they're reusing the spikes, and the spikes, when they're out of the body, are decaying a little bit. Well, it's implied. It's but implied. It's implied. But yes, that's that. it seems to make sense that the reason the Coloss are different now, because remember, when we found out in Will of Ascension, they were being controlled by money. Money, yeah. It's like, no one thought of that. Like, that never came up. You know, that's really weird. Ellen's like, Ellen was like, in all the books written on the Coloss, they've never, never mentioned, mentioned this. Like, they mentioned being able to control them with swords. But now it makes sense that they're acting different because that's just a different thing for them. Um, and it makes sense why. So, again, everything is built in. All the little plot holes you'd be thinking about, like, what? No one ever thought about that? Maybe they did, but it wasn't until now that would have actually worked. And why wouldn't it be until now? Because the Lord Ruler being dead means that the spikes aren't being replenished, and so they're being reused, and the Coloss are changing as a result. And why are they doing that? Because hemolytic decay exists, which you're learning about now. And another thing, too, is I think the way that it was worded was it was in kind of implied that the Coloss figured this out even before the Lord Ruler died. So there were probably even Coloss being reused for spikes, right? Because if you think about a Coloss sacking a village and taking control of it, right? I wonder, like, I wonder how closely monitored they monitored they were was it a thing where they like unleashed them to like put down a rebellion or they unleashed them to attack whatever and they watched them do it or was this one of the things that they did it and then they came in afterwards and like calmed them down like the lord ruler calmed them down or whatever like that after they were used to fight so is it possible that even before the lord ruler died these coloss were just like taking the spikes out of dead coloss and making new ones with lord ruler i'm gonna say probably not because i bet the lord ruler wouldn't have allowed it he but when he had control over all of them I, I mean, yes, I guess, like, like we're still trying to learn the extent of the control, right? Because, like, when they explain it, Vin feels like she ha- has, like, the consciousness of them, but it's not like she can sense every little thing they're doing, right? It's more so, like, she senses their emotions. So, like, could that have been a thing that the Lord Ruler was, like, overlooked because he could only sense Coloss emotions? Maybe. And, I mean, and also understand that the Vin, reason- is, her experience is different because Ellen, like, was able to sense a lot more. But he even only sensed, like, oh, they're being killed or whatever, but I could He sent their emotions, right? right? He didn't sense that they were dying. He sensed that they were, their emotions were spiking, and he was like, he was like, oh, I assume that was them blood frenzy and getting ready for a fight, not mm-hmm. them dying. But the reason I bring this up is because that makes us have two assumptions now. One, this, is that this assumption is going to help us determine how quickly the claw spikes are decaying. Because the Lord Ruler's only been gone for a couple of years, which means mm-hmm. that means they're becoming more human like in a couple of years, or has this been going on for a while? And like human might have just gotten a pair of spikes that this has been going on for 20 plus years already. The other thing I forgot about, because I thought Coloss were made from dead bodies, but it's actually mm-hmm. alive. They have to be alive, They have right? to be alive. Well, now that we're learning about the hemologic arts. Because I thought they, I thought they like took the people that they killed in battle and they used them to make more Coloss, but no, they're using life they have to use live people and the thing that we picked up too, another just awesome bit of world building is human went straight for the wounded tent which makes you wonder that's what the lord ruler did instead of taking care of his wounded people he turned them into coloss well the other thing i didn't even think about was he had built in the fact that they would kill themselves they die out yep. that they would that they would go get excited and they would just kill each other, themselves off which would end it if he had ever died Oh man, I think I just I just realized something that's a hundred percent spoiler. <laughs> okay, so that that so, sorry he, 
<laughs> well, Mac was just looking at me with the, the shocked face, the Pikachu yeah. face over here. You were doing the YouTube face over there. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah. okay. Well, we'll go. We ended up with part. We're going to start part four, you know, starting next ne- week. And next week, we're going to finish part four. And I think we're going to have we're going to have a spoiler episode that week going over the last couple of, I guess, all of part two, all of part three and all of part four. Um, Because really, that's a big like. That's a really good chunk of information where we're going to get a fantastic spoiler episode, but really we're doing it there. And then we're going to do all of part five as a spoiler episode. And let me tell you, wow. That's a good one for uh, for those of you who are able to listen to the spoiler episode. So yeah, please come on, join us back next week as we uh, end up finishing part four of uh, Brandon Sanderson's The Hero of Ages. Hey everyone, Vod here. Please rate our podcast and follow us for regular episodes Monday through Friday. If you enjoy listening, consider subscribing. We are a very small project, so please support us with likes and comments. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ontos. That's patreon.com slash O-N-T-O-S. Thanks again, and remember, our sentience depends on you.